Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFist podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 234, and today's guest is Eric Tarzinski, founder and managing partner of Contrary Capital. If you look across the investing landscape for companies, there are firms that typically specialize in each stage of investing, like seed, series A, later stage, growth rounds, etc., etc. Or some might even provide capital throughout the full life cycle. However, what if the foundation of your firm was even earlier? I'm talking about even before the entrepreneur has an idea. What if you built your firm on the thesis of taking a long-term approach to identify and invest in the world's top talent by building a community of incredibly bright, driven, and entrepreneurial individuals? In this scenario, you could provide these individuals with the resources and network to push their careers forward, and ultimately, when they have that idea, you are there to help support them long-term with the growth of the company and access to capital. As a headhunter for several years focused on product management and marketing talent, I have a deep appreciation for Eric's firm, Contrary Capital, and their approach to this unique way of thinking and leveraging community to build their competitive advantage. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the key factors that people are looking for when starting to build out a career, Eric's background growing up, including his time at Northeastern and a look at the startups he worked on while he was there, one of which was a Toast competitor, how Eric came up with the idea for Contrary Capital, and a deep dive into the firm's unique model and how it all works, the details on their second fund and the stage of investments that they are targeting, as well as portfolio examples, how the firm has been able to achieve such a high level of diversity across its cohorts, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, did you know that you can set up a user profile on VentureFizz? It is a feature that gives you access to personalized content, job seeker tools, and administrative features to manage your email subscriptions. To create a user profile and maximize your experience on VentureFizz, go to VentureFizz.com backslash register to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Eric. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Likewise, Keith, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because I think contrary capital, just understanding your model is just definitely a, a model that I truly appreciate. My background is recruiting. So, um, uh, you know, it's all about the people. And if you're investing in super, super early stages, and I'm talking at the point of a person, not even with an idea yet, which is an incredible model, which we're going to learn about with, with contrary capital. I just think it's, it's brilliant. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. But before we get into your background and everything that you're doing now, I want to talk about the world right now. Venture firms are deploying incredible amount of cash that is breaking records every quarter and every year. And it's just insane with valuations right now. So when I think of the competitive nature for companies that are trying to hire and win the war for talent. And you've got these terms out there, like the, you know, the great resignation and things like that. So what, what are, what is these, you know, early startups looking for? Well, let me phrase it a different way. What, what are people looking for? Like, like if you're early in your uh, career, like what's the talent side looking for as they're thinking about where do I want to spend my time building a career? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it, it, it's really interesting. We um, uh, we actually wrote a, a, a kind of re- report on this maybe I don't know six months ago now at this point because we were we were asking ourselves the same question. We said, well, you know, there's there's so much information about there or out there about you know, uh, like you said, the great resignation or this or that, but there's actually not that much concrete information on 
the why or what people specifically are looking for. And, and so for us, right, with, with our, our kind of demographic of folks, which tend to be kind of younger founders, right, uh, we, we kind of asked ourselves, uh, uh, what, what is this? And the reality was we actually didn't know ourselves. And so upon kind of digging in, it, um, it, it became apparent that it was really uh, a handful of things that were most important. I, I think, you know, number one, um, you know, for people, I think kind of like far and away, the most important factor was, was mission, right? Now, I think mission can be defined differently by different people. Right. So for some people, mission is, you know, positive social change or doing good or whatever it is. Right. Whereas for some people, mission can be, you know, they just want to work on hard problems. Right. Uh, and, and like a really hard technical problem is something that has an interesting mission for them. Right. So so but but, but I think like the, the kind of short answer there being that at the end of the day, like it needs to be something meaningful to that specific person. And that is the number one driver. Right. And then I think kind of the, the second piece was the, the founders themselves. Right. Um, so are these the kinds of people that I want to work for? Um, uh, you know, are these people who have some kind of track record, uh, you know, who who kind of you know, want to uh, empower me? Right. And, and kind of teach me, especially when I might be a little bit earlier in my career. Right. Have higher kind of, you know, uh, velocity of learning. And then and then kind of in tandem with that, very closely tied with was mentorship. Right, um, was was this kind of ability to, or desire to, you know, teach people, uh, oftentimes who are who are early in their career. So those are kind of I think like the the three core drivers. I think what you'd be surprised to see is that things like you know location or, or kind of like the the venture firms backing them, things like that were actually a little bit less important. Um, yeah, and 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 so yeah, uh, the other I was gonna say the other fun fact from that too was was that people. Um, actually, like Gen Z cared about being back in the office, right? So we really might think you, you and I might think that, yeah, you know, Gen Z or millennials, like, oh, you know, they don't want to be in the office, right? But it was something like I forget the exact statistic. It, it was maybe fifty to sixty percent of people actually preferred to be in an office. Wow, so, that is a shocking statistic based on everything yeah. you hear out there. That is fascinating, and I, I like the tidbit about the. The investors, because every press release is like, you know, we got this round of funding and it was led by Andreessen Horowitz and, da, 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 da. and it's like, yeah, we're going to conquer the world. But it, it's to find out they're like, OK, well, what do you do? And I really don't care who's backing. <laughs> like, it's just interesting. Yeah. Uh, very, very cool. Well, let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? Yeah, so uh, so I grew up in actually kind of a, a really interesting town. So the, the town's called Vernon. Uh, it's it's in the northwesternmost county of of New Jersey. Um, so kind of right along like the New York Pennsylvania state border. So you know, literally like the New York state border is probably like a ten minute drive from my house. Um, and so it's an interesting spot to grow up because it's. Um, a very rural community, kind of a very blue collar town community. Um, many people kind of like work in 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 like different trades, right? Um, or even some kind of agriculture. Uh, but at the same token, it's only about an hour and twenty minutes away from New York City, right? It's just kind of this this strange dynamic uh, growing up, where you know, I, I mean, by and large, I, I kind of spent all of my 
childhood there and kind of this like middle-class town in a very rural area with, you know, uh, there's a couple small ski resorts in the town and there's, you know, great outdoors and fishing and the ATVs and things like that. Right. Um, but, but also from time to time, you know, we'd go into the city, right. As people in, in, in New Jersey call it, uh, and, you know, you kind of just get exposure to, to something, uh, that's just so kind of completely different, but yeah, I mean, you know, my, my, my dad has spent his entire career 40 plus years working at, um, you know, a roofing manufacturing company. Um, and, and so I think like that, that was really the kind of upbringing that I had and, and, and never really was exposed to tech at all, uh, until probably halfway through college actually. Um, and, 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 you know, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my upbringing in a nutshell, but, uh, uh, a bit of a unique place. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, correct me if I'm wrong with this statement, every Northeastern graduate is extraordinary. <laughs> I, and I say that with like kind of tongue in cheek, but every time I come across a Northeastern grad, I'm just like, okay, they're going to, this is going to be an A player because they are smart. So it goes without saying, but they just have hunger and grit to get things done. And I don't know if it's the co-op program or whatever the admissions people do to select the kids, but I've never met a Northeastern grad that I was like, wow, they missed the mark on that one. Like they're all just incredibly personable, dynamic and driven. Yeah, I, I, I think I think a couple of those points there that you, that you mentioned are particularly salient. You know, I, I think it's I think to some extent maybe it goes back to the like the, the, the genesis and DNA of the university itself, which which is it too. And you know, as recently as I think seventies or eighties or something was like was more of a commuter school, right? So it was like a blue collar Boston, you know, kind of blue blood like commuter school, and so. Um, you know, I think that the people that it has attracted, obviously it's, it's, it's grown tremendously in, in size and prestige and all those things since then. Um, you know, but, but I think for me, at least like I always, and still do for that matter, have, have a chip on my shoulder. Right. Uh, because, you know, I didn't go to, to Harvard or Stanford or whatever it is. Right. And, and the reality is as untrue um, you know, as, as, uh, I think like a lot of the, the perceptions might, might be, um, you know, like you just, it, it, it doesn't make life easier sometimes. Right. And so you have to work, I think that much harder, um, you know, to, to, you know, kind of push through and build your network and things like that. And so I think to some extent, it just engenders the people at Northeastern, obviously, yes, they're, they're, as you said, smart, right, hardworking, et cetera. But I think there's just a, uh, kind of like another level of chip that gets put on people's shoulders where like the people who really want to go out there and crush it know that you have to work just incrementally harder uh, than the people, you know, might who, who go to, you know, Stanford or Harvard or something like that. So that, that's certainly been a big motivator for me. I'll agree to that. So how'd you catch more of the entrepreneurship bug? Yeah. Um, kind of a funny story, fun journey. I, uh, uh, so, so you kind of, High school, Eric was was very excited about doing the thing that maybe most kind of people in the earlier mid two thousands wanted to do as a way to like be successful, quote unquote, uh, which was I wanted to go work for Goldman, <laughs> uh, and so that's kind of how it all started, and that's what I thought I wanted to do in, in college as well. Uh, but I think you know I did a did a banking and investment banking internship kind of early in college, and, and and this is something that I do have Northeastern to thank very much. So. 
uh, for, which was, you know, because of the co-op program, I did this earlier on, right? So did this, did this my sophomore year of college and just very, very quickly realized that everything that I kind of, you know, thought that I might want to do was, was no longer the case. <laughs> I, I started asking myself, wow, like how do how do ambitious and driven people do this all day? <laughs> uh, and, you know, it just it just wasn't uh, it wasn't intellectually challenging or stimulating work in any meaningful sense for 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 me. And so, um, you know, I kind of had this. You know, I'm not even. It wasn't even quarter life, right? It was it was you know tenth of life or, or <laughs> whatnot crisis where uh, you know everything that I thought I wanted to do was now no longer the case. And so I started kind of. Um, you know, kind of running around and, and doing a bunch of different things. And I had, a, I had a handful of friends that were a couple of years older than me who were getting ready to graduate at the time. And they were getting more into entrepreneurial things. And so, um, you know, I kind of followed them down that path. Uh, I actually ended up in Asia one summer. It's a long story. You know, it kind of like uh, tried to start a dial a rickshaw business in Mumbai. And no way. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> like really. Uber it was actually, for rickshaws. The, rickshaws. <laughs> yeah. The, the irony was actually a fantastic idea. It, it was the right idea. It was the right time as well. Because this was about a decade ago. So, so Uber wasn't yet in India, but we were just absolutely the wrong people to execute on it. Um, <laughs> but, but the most important thing here is that you know that summer I kind of you know fell in love with with tech and startups and building things and you know knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life really and so came back to school you know junior year fall and really the second half of, of college just dove in head first to tech and startups and worked in a payments company in school and just you know it kind of snowballed from there but yeah it was just it was chance at the end of the day yeah and what were some of the other companies that you were a part of that you were trying to get started? Yeah, well, so so, so the, the first company, um, and this is a, a, a really great story, especially because I see the, uh, the, 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 one of the, the logos on your board back here. Uh, so the, the very first company, I'll save the name for the end and you can guess. Uh, <laughs> I already know what I bet. Go ahead. Don't. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so, so the very first company uh, that I, I ever worked on was a company called Check It. Uh, and so it was a payments company in the uh, originally kind of full service, like sit down restaurant space, right? You can probably already guess the name. Toast. Uh, oh, right. We started That's right. Toast. <laughs> That's right. And so, so this was, uh, and this was about a decade ago, it was probably 2011, 2012. Um, and, you know, uh, my basically, it was me, my friend, and then uh, one or two other folks that were working on it with us. And there were two companies in Boston at the exact same time, focused on kind of mobile payments for full service restaurants, meaning sit down restaurants, right? It was us. And it was this company called Toast. Um, and we were the only ones as far as we could tell who were actually doing something in this space. Um, and so, and we were all, we were also at the exact same stage, you know, Toast, it was just the co-founder still. Um, and so, you know, fast forward, right? Uh, the, the, the long and short of, of, that, of that journey is, is that, um, you know, the, the biggest problem in the restaurant space, it turns out, is the one that Toast figured out and solved, which was that the point of sale system companies themselves were essentially this oligopoly. Right. And so they could control who integrated any kind of technology whatsoever into the restaurant. Right. Um, and they were very closed off ecosystems. They were kind of, you know, using this legacy kind of 1.0, um, you know, infrastructure. And so when we would go to them, 
they basically would just refuse or, or we'd come up with some hacky way to kind of go about integrating, uh, you know, our, our, our software into their platform, but then they would patch it and try to ban us. Right. And so it was just like a very combative relationship. And so ultimately we just kept running into, uh, you know, a lot of walls and, we didn't realize, I imagine Toast is going through the exact same problem, right? Uh, but we didn't realize, or maybe have the entrepreneurial fortitude or whatever you might want to call it, um, to take a step back here, right? And, and realize that, hey, maybe the actual opportunity is to build the point of sale system company, right? Um, and so, you know, ultimately, you know, we were in college, whatever, we, we ended up kind of uh, you know, stopping uh, work on, 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 on what was called Check It and Toast kind of fully pivoted that business and just built the full stack point of sale system company. And obviously we know, we know what's happened since then, but that was my first, uh, my first kind of opportunity in, in founding something. So <laughs> very, very cool story. I love that. When I, when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, I'm like, that kind of sounds like a toast. I wonder if it's similar. And like, that's why I'm like, I already know where you're oh, going. Yeah. So that's so oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Now, how about like like after college? What like what what did you do initially? Yeah, so so straight out of school, I um, I went and uh, joined a company um, called Camcord, uh, which was uh, kind of pioneering again, uh, basically kind of mobile gameplay video recording and sharing software. So you can kind of think about it as like a, a Twitch for mobile, um, and so that's kind of what we were doing at the time. Um, I was, you know, kind of very early employee there, um, uh, and, and, and it was kind of part of the, the hyper growth phase of the, of the company. And so it was a really great kind of straight out of school experience where you're going from, you know, five to 50 employees, you know, a million dollars raised to, you know, 40 plus and, and you're just kind of getting to experience what a true startup looks like, you know, the, the, the great things about it and, and, and also the, the, the less great things about it. Right. And so, uh, you know, kind of went in, uh, you know, kind of doing that, but also knowing that I was going to leave very soon and, and start another company. It, it was funny. I, 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 I kind of made a deal with the, the founders of Camcord. Actually, I, I told them before I ever even joined, I said, look, like I'm going to quit at some point over the next probably 12 months and, and start a company. It might be a little bit sooner. It might be a little bit later. I don't know, but just full disclosure, right? I'm going to, to, to do something sooner rather than later. And so I said, you know, if you're okay with that, um, I am as well. And like, you know, I'll work super hard and, and give it my all when, I, when I'm there and, and be a great employee for, for you guys. Uh, but just don't be mad at me when I, <laughs> you know, when, when I quit. Uh, and so, so yeah, so I, I was there for nine months, I think it ended up being, uh, you know, kind of learned a lot about early days, but just, you know, had that entrepreneurial bug in me and, 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 and knew that sooner rather than later, I, you know, I needed to quit and, and, and go do my own thing again. And so, yeah, so left and, and spent the next year kind of pivoting around a bunch of different ideas, um, some startups, uh, some not, um, and, and ultimately just kind of like had that, uh, I'd had the idea for what became contrary when I was still in school, actually, when I was working on that payments company, it didn't work at the time, but just kind of kept nagging me in the back of my mind and, and it felt like there was this massive opportunity to kind of build the next iconic venture franchise, you know, focused on pioneering this new model of venture, this new form of venture, which is, which is you know, kind of what we call talent identification, right? This idea of going one notch earlier than even the YCs of the world. And, and that 
it was a huge opportunity that nobody was doing anything about. And so even though, you know, I might not have had a, a, a tremendous amount of experience at the time, you know, just took an entrepreneurial approach to it and said, why not us, right? I'm convinced that this will exist in the world. And so jumped right in and, uh, and the rest is history. So. so so how did you even get started? Like, I mean, because it is kind of like a tall order of, you know, you're a year out of school and just say, oh, I'm just going to go revolutionize venture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, in retrospect, I may have bitten off a little bit more than I could chew in the early days. <laughs> uh, no, but I, you know, I, I think, I think number one, like it just, it starts with, with, a, you need to have a tremendous amount of conviction, not only in the concept, but also in yourself. Right. Um, and I, I remember asking myself in the beginning, uh, you know, is this something that you feel confident enough that, that in your own ability that you can even just will this thing into existence. Right. I think whether or not it actually worked or again, it's a bit of a kind of a radical concept, right? That's, that was a completely different question in my mind, right? Um, but just getting this thing to exist and giving it a shot um, was something that I, I, I kind of, you know, felt confident that I could do with a couple of years of hard work, right? Um, and so, you know, in the early days of Contrary, yeah, they were, they were very scrappy, and, 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 you know, maybe we'll make for a great book one day, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but, but I think, you know, sooner rather than later, uh, we started seeing the, the early signs of the model working. Right. Um, so we were really the only venture fund of our kind out there doing this. Um, you know, we built this pretty unparalleled infrastructure again, the early days of country being a little bit more focused on universities than, than, than we are today. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, I remember talking with Mike Maples once and, and he told me that it's better to be lucky than good in your first couple of years of investing in, in, in venture world, because it just makes the rest of it that much easier. And so whether it was luck or whether it was skill or this infrastructure that we built out, um, you know, we were able to be first check investors in our first fund in a hand handful of, of really interesting companies, um, you know, one of which is, is, is already a, a billion dollar plus company um, and it just kind of set the pace for everything off of that. Well, and I want to kind of do a step-by-step, step, but I did notice some logos on your, the portfolio of, on your website and I saw DoorDash and I'm like, so you were an early investor in DoorDash? Yeah, so so in DoorDash, uh, in DoorDash in particular, we ended up being kind of like a more of like a mid-stage investor because it was on thesis for us. It was started at uh, at Stanford actually at the GSP, mm -hmm. uh, and so you know again kind of leverage some of that early kind of relationships and networks, and you know Evan Moore's one of the founders is a uh, uh, is is a friend in LP, and so that's in the case of DoorDash kind of how it came about. But 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 the the company specifically that I was referring to. Um, would be, you know, Vise is probably the most well-known. And so, uh, you know, Vise just, I think, recently raised their, their Series C, I think it was a 60 plus million dollar round on a, on a billion dollar valuation, you know, Sequoia and Ribbit and, and great groups like that involved and basically have gone from zero to a billion in, in two and a half years, right? Wow, that's uh, and crazy. so, you know, yeah, just remarkable. And, and one of the founders, um, uh, we, we met on campus at Penn actually. So, uh, you know, we met him at Penn and, um, you know, we ended up being kind of the first institutional investors, put a small check in and, and kind of the rest is history. So, <laughs> so is, is the company in New York now? Like where, where's Vise? They are. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, Vise is based in New York. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, cause I, I just, um, so I'm physically located outside of the Philly area and it just, um, 
you know, there's so many great academic institutions in Philly, but there's not enough capital to support those students. So they all have to go to New York or elsewhere or the Valley. And it just, um, it's, it's too bad. It's too bad. Like Penn's such an entrepreneurial school now. Yeah. It's been a hotbed. Yeah. And I mean, they originally then went to SF and then they went back to New York. Yeah. But, uh, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think Penn is a, it's a world-class institution that has a lot of entrepreneurial just DNA for whatever reason that it, or attracts those kinds of people. So, yeah. And I know your models evolved where, but at first you were focused on investing in, you know, students that were, you know, in college. And so it's a concept that is definitely unique, right? So you're investing in people, yet these people don't necessarily need an idea. They just need to show that they're, you know, their intellect, that they're driven, that they will be entrepreneurial someday. So how does it work? Like someone applies, um, you know, even the early days, like, like, how did you start to even get like the community going? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so, so the early days, exactly. We were, you know, a lot more focused on universities still at that, at very much, at, I think at the, at the root of, 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 of what we do in many ways, but also we're kind of growing with this community and ecosystem over time. Right. And so I think kind of the, the, the whole, the whole kind of Genesis thesis behind it was, look, you know, if you think about venture and, in different waves, right? You have kind of, you know, version 1.0 venture, which is what, you know, the Arthur Rocks and Sequoias and whatever kind of, you know, pioneered 50, 60, whatever years ago, which was let's find companies that in many cases are already working. Let's give them capital. Let's go from there, right? And kind of like version 2.0 was, uh, you know, let's, 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 you know, think about what the YCs of the world pioneered 15 years ago, which is this idea of if you're sharp, entrepreneurial, have an interesting idea, you know, we'll give you a couple hundred thousand dollars and, and, and support you and see what happens, right? Uh, but nobody was really doing anything for what we kind of thought of as version 3.0, right? Which is this idea of, well, what if you could actually go one notch earlier, right? What if you could focus on and kind of build, you know, a, a new kind of venture capital solely focused on systematically identifying and investing in the world's top talent, right? What if you could identify basically the brightest people in the world, whether they were in school, just out of school or well out of school, whatever, but the core underlying thread being that you had not yet started a company, then you could relentlessly support those people for your entire careers. And so um, that's, I think, kind of like this model of talent identification that we very much pioneered now over the past couple of years. And essentially how it works, Keith, is... Um, you know, every year we basically run a, a couple of different cohorts, right? And so we, we've built out this, you know, we call it the country machine, right? And we're going to build out the, the country machine that's focused on surfacing these people, whether it's their inbound or outbound or referrals, right? And um, you're trying to get as many kind of, you know, top 0.1% people as we can into kind of our, our top of funnel. And then, you know, we're basically kind of getting to know these people and tracking them, tracking their progress over time. And, and for a certain subset of them, it usually ends up being maybe 50 to 100 a year, uh, we actually admit them to our community. We call it the fellowship community. Um, and, and then we commit to supporting this group of people for their entire professional careers. And so that could be everything from helping them find really interesting, cool roles at hyper-growth startups to you know, introducing them to potential co-founders who are also part of the community, to you know, helping them find a place to live in San Francisco. To, wow, full service. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly, right? So to, to, you know, to investing in companies that they start or join, right? We, we truly want to be um, a lifelong partner for them, right? And we want to be somebody where uh, you know, they feel a deep gratitude for it. I know we were talking before we we started recording the the the, the podcast even, but you know, we invested in a in a company called Leland, 
um, you know, earlier this year. And, and, and we've known the founder, you know, John Colliker for um, almost five years. You know, we met him and he was a, a new grad out of BYU and, and just kept in touch throughout every single step of that journey. You know, I mean, along the way, he got married and had kids and had one job and two jobs and uh, two jobs, two jobs. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and then, you know, we ultimately ended up being the first investors. Right? And it is, I think it's because we've been able to kind of build that deep trust and relationship with them over, over time. And, and it becomes a huge edge for us. So it's, yeah. it's such a trust factor. Cause one of the things that you hear about from entrepreneurs is before you sign a term sheet, make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into with the investor. There's some amazing investors, but then there's people that maybe when times get rough, don't respond the way that you want. And if that investment is something that's going to be part of your life for five, 10, 15 years, you know, some people equate it to, it's harder to get out of, uh, your, your board than it is a marriage. Right. So it's, uh, (laughs) so, so it's just, you build this relationship over time where they get to know your style, your firm, your people. And it's not just uh, Hey, let's get to know each other over two months and hopefully sign turn sheets and off we go with our, you know, happily way. It's a, a long-standing trust and you get to know the entrepreneur too. So I, I just think it's a fascinating model. I and mean, it just goes to me as being a, a, a former headhunter where I'm like, I love this. I mean, I just, I used to recruit product management and marketing talent and the product managers were just, you know, you, you talk to someone, you're like, wow, this person is extraordinary and they're going to do some amazing things. And if you could get them into your community and when they start their company, they're going to come to you first for that initial capital. So anyways, I think it's such a smart, smart way to build community and to layer the investment side on top of it. Yeah, so I appreciate the, it. Yeah. So, so you just announced recently your second fund. So it's a $20 million fund. So what's the typical allocation as far as, you know, the size of, of investing that you're making, uh, any recent investments or whatever you can share? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so typical check for us is is you know I'd say these days um, anywhere up to about two million. So you know we can, we're doing everything from call it you know fifty to one hundred k checks on the low end for people that you know we think are sharp and have a great idea and, and you know might want to support uh, all the way up through kind of you know high conviction kind of, you know leading seed rounds right with a, a million or two million dollar check. Um, in general. Uh, you know, contrary is and, and has always been a kind of high high conviction high conviction concentrated uh, kind of investor. Where you know we're very independent. I think in terms of uh, you know again we, we try to do as much community driven investing as we can, right? So uh, you know I, I I make the joke, but I'm I'm dead serious that I don't think. I can't think of a time when, you know, another venture firm introduced us to somebody who we ultimately ended up investing in as a part of that round. Like that's, that's not really our model. Um, we have more of this kind of, you know, outbound or community driven approach where we're trying to kind of bubble up people who are in our community, who know friends and areas where we have real asymmetric edge, right? And we're not just playing, you know, the same game that everybody else is playing, right? And I think that's kind of one of the really unique and special parts about countries. We've always played an entirely different game than than basically all the other venture funds out there. Um, and so, yeah, I think to answer your question, that's kind of what we do, you know, industry agnostic, uh, you know, IT focused, but at the end of the day for us, like you said, we're, we're investing in people, right? So we don't care if it's computational bio or, or, or SaaS or consumer or anything in between, I, you know, we're just relentlessly focused on, you know, identifying the most exceptional individuals first and, and then just, you know, investing in them and, and supporting them 
through the entirety of, of, of their companies from kind of you know seed to scale. So now the other thing that is interesting about the model is so your investors or LPs that that so uh, you know, in, on your website, you're like, Hey, we're backed by the founders of like Tesla and Reddit and Facebook and Airbnb. I'm not seeing pension plans. So is that the model you're kind of going after founders backing other founders? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so we, we have a, we have a little bit of, of what you might call more, you know, kind of traditional institutional capital, right? So right. family offices, fund of funds, things like that. So, you know, we, we, we definitely have foundations. We, we definitely have all of those uh, as, as LPs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a, a core part of, of, of our model is, is community, right? Um, and so for us, I think we started asking ourselves the question very early on of, you know, how do we kind of build uh, a community around a community, if that makes sense, right? So, you know, we have our core community of people that are part of the fellowship, things like that, as, as we just discussed, but how can we also build on top of that, a community of world-class folks across disciplines within tech who can be mentors and helpers for them, right? And kind of like create that positive feedback loop where, you know, you're a part of the community, uh, you know, we invest in you and then you're getting support almost from like your, 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 your elders in a sense, right? Like people who've been there, done that, um, and kind of want to, want to give back and, and are willing to commit to helping people that we back who are in and around their space. So yeah, it's been this kind of really cool ecosystem that, that we've been, been fortunate to kind of now build out with, yeah, many of the world's best founders kind of supporting this. So, yeah. And I, you know, not to continue to chew your horn of what you're building, but I just, I'm such a big fan of you know, uh, community and relationships that you know, you've built out these founders that have an incentive to support and help these founders that are part of your community to hopefully build something that ultimately leads to, um, you know, an outcome that returns, you know, a, you know, hopefully a positive return on the fund. Because uh, it's, you know, I think a lot of VCs have, you know, uh, advisors or whatever you call them, but there's not always that vested interest as far as the actual taking the time to uh, participate and do what they need to do to help make the fund overall successful. Yeah, I think that's the trick, right? It's exactly. You want people that at the end of the day have skin in the game and and and, and are doing this, of course, because they care, but also because it's it's going to benefit everybody. So, yeah. Now, another thing that is super important of what you're doing, which a lot of firm struggle with is uh, the diversity of, of your uh, members or community members. So from what I read, it's 45% female and 65% non-white. So a lot of funds are trying to, you know, build a more diverse portfolio as it relates to entrepreneurs that they're backing. So how have you been able to achieve that level of diversity? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I, I think um, this, this all goes back to the very early days of, of, of country, actually, um, you know, I think, uh, I forget the exact timeline, but I think it was uh, summer of either 2016 or 2017 when, when all of the kind of the Me Too stuff started coming out. And, uh, you know, there were a number of people in the tech industry as well who kind of, you know, were implicated or had to resign or whatever it might be, right? Um, and that for me, I think, was this really seminal moment of, you know, we were still in the very early days of building contrary, right? Uh, we may have just started investing out of our first fund, but, uh, you know, I, I, I said to myself, look, like, you know, I want to do, again, like, you know, the, the ambition has always been to build our generations, you know, Sequoia or Andreessen, right? And so, you know, if, if that it really is the goal, um, you know, we need to look like 
uh, kind of a firm that is more reflective of, of, of this generation, right? Um, and so I, I kind of really took a lot of that to heart. Um, and, and I think from that point forward, we've been very intentional and deliberate about really every aspect of contrary, making sure that, that we have, uh, you know, kind of, I think a, a diverse group of folks from, from across the board. And, and we spend a lot of time and effort on it, right? It, it's not, um, it's not, uh, it, it's not necessarily easy, right? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's oftentimes easier. I think if we just sat back and, and kind of let it happen, right? I think you would end up with a community that is a lot more reflective of perhaps what tech at large looks like today, right? Which is very, uh, you know, kind of male dominated, primarily kind of, you know, white and Asian men, right? Um, and, 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 but we just, we just haven't done that. And so I think that the short answer to your question is at the end of the day, we are very intentional and deliberate, whether it's with our fellowship cohorts, our, our venture partner community, whatever it might be, about making sure that we are building a diverse organization from day one, even if that means, you know, we have to put in, uh, you know, more time, effort, things like that. Um, we'll do it because it, because it's, 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 it's worth it. And at, at the end of the day, like, you know, it generates better returns. Um, it generates a better community. Um, and, and, and I also just think personally it's the right thing to do. So. Yeah. And that like the better founders, I think take that approach where, early days of the company, hey, this is our culture. We're going to build a diverse workforce from day one. And if they have someone in-house that's leading talent, the mandate is we need to try harder, right? You know, it's we can't just kick back and wait for, you know, people to refer other people. We need to go and, and uh, initiate that reach out with diverse um, candidates. So that's a very smart way to build it. Um, so if, if someone was interested, like what's the best way to get a fellowship at contrary, like, is it through, you know, networking? Is it through just applying? Like, how do they get on your radar or how do you source these amazing people? Yeah, a hundred percent. So, so the best way to become a part of the fellowship community is to be referred by somebody who's already a part of the fellowship community. Uh, but uh, but if but if not, um, you know, you can you're always more than welcome to 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 shoot us an email, uh, you know, at either info at contracap.com or fellowship at contracap.com. I think we we love meeting with people uh, all the time, and we you know we do two cohorts a year, and, and so pretty consistently, kind of you know building a a wait list of of, of people you know who want to become a part of the community. But yeah, I'd say referral through existing members is is the best way. Um, or just drop us a note. Yeah, I mean, we have conversations, like I said, all the time with this super sharp entrepreneurial people that that want to be a part of what we're building here. So, now what's kind of interesting is the tech industry has been growing all over the country, not just the Valley, New York, Boston. You know, you're seeing great pockets in Tampa, Miami. Uh, I mean, there's just there's always been Chicago and Austin, you know, LA, San Diego, but it just seems like these areas are just emerging and there's a lot of great things happening. I think it's been uh, kind of interesting. So I have my own perspective on why, but I, I want to get your take because you kind of have a overview of kind of th how things are happening. So what, what scenes are the ones that, that people should be watching? Yeah. Well, so I, I think it depends on a couple of questions here. Keith. So I think the, uh, you know, I think there's, there's one question of you know, kind of, where our companies started, right? 
And then I think there's a question of like, where do people in tech work, right? I actually think these are kind of two, two different questions, right? Um, because, and I think my answer ends up being different, right? Because I, I think uh, when it comes to like, where do people or your average employee in tech or whatnot, wh wh where do they work, right? Um, I think it's probably a lot more disparate than, uh, than, than it used to be by, by a long shot, right? People are taking advantage of this to, you know, go work from uh, wherever they grew up or another cool city. I mean, even with contrary, you know, we've, I'm actually the, the lone holdout here in San Francisco at this point, believe it or not. Uh, everybody else has, has migrated away, uh, at least temporarily. But, um, you know, but, but I think when it actually comes to where are the companies being started. And um, when you look at the data, I think fundamentally actually hasn't changed that much, right? And so that, you know, like you said, there is all this hype around like, oh, Miami or this or that. But when you, when you actually look at the data, like, you know, if, if something like 70% of billion dollar companies were started in San Francisco before the pandemic, it's now like 50%, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's still this tremendous uh, kind of number of, of companies that are started either in call it San Francisco or New York. Uh, or Boston. Um, and so, you know, these kinds of ecosystems and the density, as you said earlier, of, of capital and, 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 and talent and knowledge, right? Like it takes decades for these kinds of things to erode, right? Um, and so, you know, will Silicon Valley ever be what it was pre-pandemic? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not, right? Um, but will it still be like far and away the, the, the clear number one? Um, Absolutely. So that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. So what are some underrated universities for entrepreneurship? You talked about your, um, the, the individual that you recently invested in from BYU. So what are some underrated universities out there? Yeah. I mean, it just depends on what you're, what you're going for, what you're looking for, I think at the end of the day, right. Believe it or not, you know, I think a lot of the universities do have, um, uh, kind of like different flavors, right. So at like a USC, you, you might find a lot of, you know, kind of like uh, things at the intersection of tech and media, right? So, um, you know, entertainment startups or consumer things, right? Whereas at, you know, a University of Illinois or Purdue, you might find more in ag tech, right? So, uh, yeah, I think oftentimes they're, they're, uh, the, the geography and kind of the historical nature of the university actually dictates and determines a lot more of what you see come out uh, than you might think, actually. So it's a, it's a fun exercise to do in that sense. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Any good podcast book recommendations that you'd recommend out there? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the 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 last book that I read. I mean, this is very this is very uh, uh, very normy of me, as the youths would say. But <laughs> was was Shoe Dog. Uh, so I, I mean, I read Shoe Dog by, which is Phil Nice uh, biography. Uh, just like a, a, I mean, talk about a guy who had a scrappy journey, right? Um, you know, and, 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 and I think you forget as you're reading the book that he's going from his 20s to 30s to like even early 40s before he ever really had much meaningful success, right? You know, it was a good like 10 to 15 year journey before, you know, Nike really started to kind of break out in any sense. And so I think when you think about grit, that's just one that, um, you know, that, that, that I most recently read that I, I really, really love, so. I'm going to double down on that. If anyone listening has not read Shoe Dog, it is a must required reading. It is such a story that you don't expect to read opening that book because you just think of the brand, the, the swoosh, the, the Jordans. The, it's just like, oh, 
wow, what a great idea and great execution. No, <laughs> the company fa- failed and almost went bankrupt so many times. It was an amazing story. So please read that. Uh, what do you do? What do you like to do outside of work? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm a lifelong skier. So, uh, so I grew up, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in, in Vernon and they're actually the Appalachians run right through Northwestern New Jersey. And so there's a couple, couple small ski resorts in the town that I grew up in. So, uh, I grew up kind of like competitive ski racing. And so I think, yeah, skiing is, uh, uh, has a, has a kind of a soft spot, uh, for me. So skiing sports, uh, you know, I spend most of my time building contrary, but, uh, <laughs> but when I, when I do get to get outside, it's, uh, it's often the sport. So, yeah. Well, Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your backgrounds, all the great things you're up to with contrary capital. As I mentioned, I just, I'm a fan of the model and how you're approaching it with the community and identifying talent that will hopefully lead to some great things ahead. Thanks Keith. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it as well. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.